word of God with us. So open your heart up. Get ready to receive. Praise the Lord. Well, it's time for a new series. Everybody said amen. Have you forgiven yourself out? You should be well versed in forgiveness and moving past that place in life. I'm going to start a new series about the lies that the devil uses. How many of you know the devil's a liar? I said the devil is a liar. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to say amen. <laughs> well, I'm, this is the introduction tonight. The next eight weeks after, I'm going to give you a different lie that the devil uses each week so that you're well-versed in what your enemy's up to. But let's go ahead, and I'm going to give you the first thing, and it says, freedom is worth fighting for. How many of you know that? You need to be free. Free from fear, free from anger, free from hate, free from whatever it is that might try to capture your attention to where you'll stumble and fall. If you get distracted, many times you stumble. And that's what the devil's up to. And we got to see Stephen and Amanda yesterday and visit with them. He has that thing around his neck that I had when I had my neck surgery. Only he had three vertebrae fused. But he, you know, you're in a lot of pain after that. But it starts to disseminate more and more. And uh, after my surgery, the ice pick pain that I felt in my shoulder blade that felt like it was going through to my heart, it was done. I didn't feel that anymore. But I was just healing from the pain of the surgery and the fact it ruined my singing voice for about a year because they went through the front and spread my vocal cords apart and did the work through the front of my neck. And that's what they, they do it that way. And uh, they took out the bad disc that was completely almost out and put a spacer in there and then put a titanium plate. Gave me a card in case I went off at the airport. Yeah, But uh, you know what? I use that bone growth modulator around my neck and I guess it works. I think the bone grew over the plate. And I never go off at the airport. Knock on wood. But anyway, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 and 12. I'll read it off the screen. It's a lot bigger. It says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, like principalities, that'd be like in our world, maybe the county officials. You know. And then you have powers, 
That might be like the governor's office. And then against the rulers of darkness of this age, that'd be like the Republican and the Democrat parties. I'm not trying to say they're demonic, but you're just, I'm giving you a picture. And against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's those that are involved in all kinds of evil around this world that are con trying to control governments and armies and so forth. You know, there's a lot of darkness. There are a lot of powers that is, are not invested in the president or in the prime minister of Canada or England or anywhere else. There are people that you don't even know their names. But they're operating on a higher plane through different avenues of secret societies and such that are trying to control this world. And so, you know, uh, there, there's a lot of activity none, nonetheless that they're trying to say. But in John 10, 10, well, let me just give you the definition. I put it down a little bit farther. The definition of wiles in my notes. I'll go ahead. I don't know if Philip, you can skip down to that. But wiles of the devil, it's the Greek word methodia. It's not talking about the Methodist church either. But there is a method, the wiles. It's the devil's methods of trying to do trickery, schemes to attack with, like an adversary laying in wait. I was in Africa, and I went on that camera safari uh, in the Maasai Mara and the Serengeti, uh, just big animal park, you know, hundreds of miles and thousands upon thousands of acres of land. And I'll never forget, we were driving along in one of those buses or vans, and the lid of that van would lift up so that you could stand and see clearly and could take your pictures without leaving the van. And the driver stopped all of a sudden, and he said, be very quiet. And the lid was up, and he said, get ready to take some pictures. There's some lions in this tall grass. And sure enough, all of a sudden, in the front of the grass, one of the heads popped up. And then another one popped and another one until there was like seven or eight young lions they didn't have the big mane like the old guys but they all of a sudden whoo there they went and it's because there was some thompson chain gazelles right out there and some uh what do you call the striped horse zebras there was some zebras out there and they began to run to attack so that they could have dinner that night. You know the old adage, if, if there's two guys in the woods and a bear is going to come, you, you hope you're the fastest because he'll get the slow one first. Well, that's how these gazelles were. The one that's not paying any attention is the one that gets caught. But it's amazing because this is how the devil is. He's like in the tall grass, just waiting for you to get in a place or a position where he will attack you in some way. 
So let's go back up in the notes to John 10 and 10. Of course, before that, statement 1 really should be freedom is a seven-letter word. It's, it's just, it's like a heavenly word, you know, seven letters. Freedom. God wants you to stay free. But that's why I'm going to expose eight of the devil's lies during the next eight weeks after this and let you understand and know what to expect from your enemy. Because if you don't understand your enemy, you won't know how to resist and protect yourself. So John 10 and 10, we know this verse. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. There's also scripture that says, The devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I learned this about the old lions. Because we drove on our way to the hotel in the middle of the Masai Mara. And it's funny, that hotel had high fencing with barbed wire on top of it all the way around. And that was because they wanted us to stay in the hotel unless we got in the vans to go sightseeing. And the reason why is because they said years ago when they didn't have the fence up, the baboons would come in there and shake and rattle the doorknobs as the door was unlocked. They'd come right in and scare the people. You know, baboons are no joke. They're mean. So they put these fences around the hotel. You know, you felt like you're in prison in a way. But anyway, uh, you know, we, I don't even know why I brought that up, but I did. Oh, the thief, yeah. The lions, the old lions. We saw them laying by the road on our way to the hotel, down the dirt paths that we were driving on. We crossed a little bridge, and there was a lion laying right there by the bridge. It didn't even move. had a big old mane like in the Lion King. And uh, they explained to us, they said, well, the old lions, they don't move fast like the young lions who don't have the mane. And uh, they kind of let the female lions go out and hunt for them and feed them like the king of the jungle, only king of the Masai Mara, and they said, but the lion, the old ones, when they open their mouth to roar, it like vibrates the atmosphere. It petrifies the prey. You know, it scares them to death. And then those young lions, they don't even roar. They don't make a sound. They just attack, you know, go and attack. But the old lion likes to petrify the prey. So maybe they can catch them. But we see, you know, that the devil, in statement two is this, the devil is a real enemy with a real agenda. Do you know what your weaknesses are in life, in your past life, even in your present life? I can joke around all day that chocolate's a weakness of mine, you know, and people like to laugh. And I even preached a little bit about peanut M&Ms before and had people laughing. 
down in Mexico, I preached about peanut M&Ms being one of my weaknesses and could be a sin in my life. And about 20 people brought me a bag of peanut M&Ms the next night at Tino and Isaac's church. They lined up. And one of them gave me some. I said, well, gracias. And then another one gave me some. Until I had like 20 bags of peanut M&Ms. And I had to watch them. So I was afraid somebody's going to take off with one of my bags. That'd last me the whole trip, you know. But that's kind of like how it is. People have weaknesses. And guess who knows your weakness? He knows what your triggers are. He knows how to attack you to make you anxious to go to whatever it is that tempts you. And I always talk about those three core beliefs of a person that are negative. The first one is conformity, which that's where somebody tries to make you conform to a certain thing and you lose your identity. And because losing your identity, then you get depressed because you aren't, aren't yourself. That'd be like somebody, and I, I, I kind of resemble that growing up. You, you remember Pastor Ken and the old line Pentecostal church. They really tried to push us to holiness being what was on the outside, not so much. Well, they wanted you cleaned up on the inside too, but they made such a to-do about what was on the outside that you were on eggshells. And so... You know, the enemy knows how to attack you to cause you to be uncomfortable. And so, you know, that he knows what's in your mind. He knows the strongholds that you have overcome. And if he can set you off and make you get depressed or something, but then anxiety will come your way, and that's the second core belief that is negative, and that has to do with compulsivity. That's the second C word, conformity, compulsivity. And compulsivity, that's a compulsion to something. And usually, that's something that is very addictive to you. And I was joking, but it's serious. I have like a sugar addiction. I like candy. I like chocolate. It's not that good for me. So I have to limit myself one little piece of chocolate when I go home at night just to give me a little something sweet. But uh, don't put cake in front, especially chocolate cake, good Lord, with uh, that, uh, what was that called, uh, German chocolate icing on a chocolate cake. Help me, Jesus. You know, I'd be in trouble. But, you know, there are certain things that are weaknesses and we can compulsively go for it if we're not careful and so you know but at the same time as you try to resist and you focus so much on resisting guess what happens you're thinking about it because you're thinking about it sometimes you end up doing it or you're in the ditch well God wants you to be totally free from compulsivity, that you, your anxiety won't drive you to the thing that you were addicted to. And everybody's had some kind of thing in their life that they had a little bit of difficulty with. And the third one was about control, and that's anger is a symptom. 
So, you know, when somebody starts to feel like somebody's trying to control them, they get angry. And sometimes they get loud. And they try to tell people, you know, in a loud way, you know. And they get mad and they'll start an argument. Well, you know, it takes two to argue. You just sit there and don't argue with them. They got no argument. You know, I always heard it like this, that somebody with an experience in God, especially, you can't be out debated by somebody with an argument. Nobody's going to tell me healing isn't for today. I've been healed. I've laid hands on people and they've been healed. They've been delivered. We've heard testimonies. Rico gave a tremendous testimony two weeks ago how he was delivered up here when we prayed for him in the altar. You know, uh, that's just a fact. But the enemy wants to argue through somebody. But don't argue with them. Don't give place to the devil. Don't worry about control. Hey, Jesus, whatever you want. Now, the Bible says turn your cheek. Somebody hits you. It didn't say turn it twice, you know. I think, you know, shame on you if you let it happen twice, you know. But get out of the way of the next one. You should be expecting it to come, <laughs> you know. So... In other words, don't be a dummy. You might turn your cheek once, but don't get in there and let them hit you again. You know, you're smarter than that. Anyway, can I hear an amen to that? All right, statement number three is this. The opposite of freedom is slavery or bondage. Two, to what? Shame discouragement, disillusionment, despair, and hopelessness. This is what the devil tries to do. If he can make you head towards a, a bondage situation, you can get in a bondage over a lot of things. Well, you know, I, you know I've just got to turn my cheek, you know, or I've got to be humble. So you lay down and let somebody make you a doormat. Well, that's not what humility is. It's not so somebody walks all over you. Being humble is knowing who you really are. And you don't, you don't let somebody walk all over you. You tell them the truth. Look, I'm saved. God has delivered me. And I don't have to do that. You're not going to walk all over me. It's like that little lady I heard the testimony by... Dwight Thompson and down in New Orleans when I was a young preacher. About 1983, Dwight was preaching revival in the church and he told that story about that gal in Texas and she was going to the revival and her husband was an alcoholic and, and uh, he looked at her and he had a gun down by his leg. And she was getting ready to go out. She was dressed up, had her purse on her arm. and He said, where are you going? You going to that church again tonight? It was to a Dwight Thompson revival. I think it was in Fort Worth, Texas or something like that. She said, yes. He said, well, if you do, I'm going to shoot you. He was drunk, her husband. She looked him square in the eye because she was humble. She knew who she was. And she told him, said, well, 
if you shoot me, I'm going to heaven and you're going to jail. But if you don't shoot me, I'm walking out of this door and I'm going to the revival. And that man eventually got saved because of her courage to stand up and be accounted for. She wasn't mad. She just told him the truth. And she loved her husband, but her husband was a jerk. And he needed to be delivered from alcohol and saved. And eventually he was. What a tremendous story that is. Anyway, the opposite of freedom is slavery to bondage of some sort. And the devil tries to use it to cause you to be hopeless or to cause you to be discouraged or cause you to be disappointed in some way. Have you ever been disappointed in somebody? Somebody's made promises to you and they didn't keep them? It's a very disappointing. It's discouraging. Especially when you're a kid. Somebody promises you something, they don't follow through on it. You know, it's better if you don't make a promise than to make one don't keep it. See. But anyway, Jeremiah 33, 3, we know that verse. I've preached on it so many times. One of the hallmark scriptures of our ministry. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. When you call upon the Lord, He will answer you. And then He will show you great and mighty things that you didn't know. And that neat thing about that word show, that's the same scripture that described the Ark of the Covenant where the angels surround it. And that is the mercy seat of Jesus Christ in heaven. It was where the power of God resided. So when you call upon the Lord, He answers you and He brings you into heavenly places by Christ Jesus and sits you in a mercy position and He will show you things about your life, about others. He will talk to you. And that's the thing about the prophetic. And uh, I know this, you don't have to be loud when you prophesy to people. Many times I've called out people and then I've told them what the Lord was showing me and they began to have tears just run down their faces because they knew I didn't know that. It was only by the Holy Spirit I could tell them that. But I don't have to yell it. I look at them, I think, the way Jesus would look at them with compassion. That's a big key to resisting your enemy is having compassion in your heart. But number four, revelation brings forth empowerment. When you have the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit about things in your life, you're empowered. You can resist the enemy. You can praise the Lord in the middle of bad circumstances. You can believe for something that you don't see yet because you have hope the essence of your faith. And then we see statement, uh, or I already gave you the definition of wiles of the devil, but statement number five is this. We must learn how to silence our enemies. Job chapter 1, 6 through 12 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God 
That wasn't Adam and Eve and Samuel and David, but the sons of God there was talking about the angels. There was a day when the sons of God, the angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, or Lucifer, also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power, only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And of course, you know the story of Job. He lost everything. He was left with nothing, and his wife even told him, You should curse God and die. I mean, he went from being <laughs> the most blessed man in the earth. I mean, he loved God. He was humble. And he refused to curse God. He refused to give in to his enemy. I imagine he was wondering, oh God, what is, what did I do to deserve this? And many people feel like they don't deserve sometimes circumstances that they go through. I imagine Sister Fran back there, Sister Cookie, as we like to call her, I imagine she didn't think she deserved the attack that she had through COVID and was in a coma for a, a long while. Wondering, what's going on? I serve the Lord. I love God. I could pick each one of you out and say something that you've been through. And you've wondered, why me, Lord? Why this? Why did this have to go on? Why did this happen? You know what? Every one of us have to go through things in life. God's not a respecter of persons. It rains on the just and the unjust alike. But what is our response to God? And how to re respond to the attack of the devil when we're going through things? We're not going to curse God and die if we're standing in the Holy Spirit and upon His Word. We know God is going to come through eventually on our behalf you know anyway I have things go through my mind I have to contend with and I'm preaching because I get all kinds of ideas and I have to discern which ones I need to speak about but we must learn how to silence our enemies you know Job had to just not give in his own friends turned their backs on him but then God used his friends and others to give him stuff at the end I mean his kids died 
It was horrible. But then God gave him more kids and gave him more stuff till he was blessed. What was it, Pastor Ken? Two times or four times? Twice as much. I mean, you talk about the richest guy around and God gave him twice as much. The devil couldn't, he couldn't win. The devil had to say, I got to go bother some other people because Job is too powerful in God. He refuses to let Satan's lies contaminate him. But we see statement number six. The accuser comes to attack the righteous. He doesn't attack the ones that are already out there in the ditch. How much more mud can you get on you when you're in the ditch? He attacks those that are walking with God. If you've gone through something, you know, sometimes we go through things that we choose to bring upon ourselves. But after you know Christ and you go through something, God won't leave you down there. He will pick you up as you humble yourself and He will exalt you above your problems eventually. And that's worth staying around for. Proverbs chapter 8, 13, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. Buy me kings reign and rulers decree justice. Buy me princes rule and nobles, all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice, that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. You know what that word wealth means? Wealth. It means riches. It means whatever you need. Is it grain? Is it oil? Is it wine? Is it money? Is it lands? Is it houses? Whatever it is, God is with you. And He loves righteousness. And He will work it out before you know it. If you stick with Him. If you keep your eyes on Him, make Him your prize. Statement 7, we can endure like Job because we know God is with us. Remember the scripture, if God be for you, who can be against you? God is with you. He's going to deliver you into the greatest things that you have ever imagined in your life. You know, never ceases to amaze me. I can go places, and it seems like the older that I get and the less agile I am, the more powerful God gets. You know, it, it just amazes me. You know, I can be somewhere. I was visiting Rick Timbush in the nursing home, and he's, he's just, you know, he needs help. He needs prayer, encouragement. 
when I'm there, I, I kind of push him. I say, Rick, you got to fight. Man, get your arms out from underneath that blanket. Start swinging at the air. Move your arms. Move your hands. I kind of get on to him, but he kind of likes it. You know, he starts grinning after a little while. But I was there, and this lady came in and checked on him, and she had her mask on. And she turned, she said, are you a pastor? I said, well, yes, I am. She said, what is your name? I said, Kevin McAnulty. She said, I used to attend your church when it was down on South Broadway. I said, you did. Why did you quit? Did I run you off? She said, no, I don't know why we quit. You know? And uh, I said, well, you can always come back if you don't have a church. We're just in a different location. She says, I listen to you every day on the radio. She said, you always say, get a hot cup of coffee. I said, yeah, that's me. Anyway, people, they need a good word. They need us. And you know what? You, you can't identify with others if you haven't been through anything. Man, I look at each one of you. You've all been through something. You've lost a loved one or you, some people lose a business or some people, you know, they just have different events in their lives that have been difficult and trouble, troubling. But you know what? I see you here, and I see good attitudes. I see strength in you guys. I see that you're able to stand. And when you stand, God is standing with you. He really is. And that brings us to statement number eight. Most look at Job through legalistic eyes, but we must look through the eyes of compassion. What did the people, you know, that saw what Job was going through and someone was like, oh, I wonder what sin he committed. You know, I think about people been through a divorce or something and, and they want to know, well, I wonder if they were fighting all the time or I wonder if he beat her or I wonder if she ran around on him, you know, that kind of thing. They always want to see some kind of legalistic reason why you went through what you went through. But you know what? God knows every bit of it. He knows how many hairs are on top of your head. If He knows that. He knows it all. And so He judges it according to His righteousness, not according to the devil's lies. Statement number nine, we can see God's power emanate from His presence to do battle for us. You can see it almost. It may, you know, I, I've never seen the Holy Spirit, but I know He's there. You know, I've never seen Him blow the banner off the wall. But I'll tell you this, I had a bunch of legalistic, religious and I don't want to say all Pentecostals are like this, but it's from a Pentecostal group in Ocatlan, Mexico. And they were causing such a disruption in our meeting. We were borrowing their building. And they were doing some crazy stuff. And, I told, and it was so hard to preach there that night. 
I couldn't hardly pray a person through to salvation, much less cast a demon out. And I told Tino, I said, we're not going to be here tomorrow night. We're going to be in Brad's backyard under that tent. I don't care if it's going to rain or what. And, you know, I just got to tell it like it is. We went in that backyard the next night, and these two ladies, and you could tell they were legalistic and everything. They began to clap like this while I was praying for people. It was so irritating and distracting. I don't know why they were doing that. But you know what I did? You know Pastor Kevin. I'm not going to fool around. I walked back there, and I karate chopped them. They were going like this, and I said, In the name of Jesus! And I swiped my hand right between their claps. That woman fell out knocked a folding chair over. And the other one, I went over, she was trying. I said, In the name of Jesus! And I just karate chopped that thing in between her hands, and she blew over. And the funny thing is the wind came and come under that tent and it picked the center pole up off the ground like that and it blew it this way and it blew it that way and it blew it that way and finally it stopped and everybody's eyes were that big. I said, God's trying to tell us something tonight and you need to get down here and let me pray for you if you're not living right. I mean, the altar was full. People were scared half to death. But those two ladies did not cause any more trouble. And they didn't come back the next night either. I karate chopped that legalism right out of the picture. I do strange things sometimes when the Holy Spirit shows me. I wasn't going to hit them. But when their hands went like that, I went like that. And I said, this is over. And out in the Spirit, they went. And it wasn't no gentle one either. Just wham! You know? I said, Hallelujah. Everybody around was watching. They said, my goodness. But anyhow, oh my goodness. I have so much fun with the Holy Ghost when he's moving like that. But we don't look through legalistic eyes. What do legalistic people do? They come into a meeting. If everybody's falling out in spirit, they want to find a reason why it's not of God. Somebody's laughing all over the building like in a Rodney Howard Brown meeting they want to find a reason why that's not of God I don't know why people do those kind of things when the Holy Ghost is there I just know that my experience in the Lord yeah freedom it has proven to me the Holy Ghost can do whatever he wants if there's enough liberty in the building when I was at that meeting in Lakeland Florida Pastor Ken was with me there's about five of us guys who went, four or five of us, and we all went up when they said, if you're in the ministry, come on up here after they got people saved. And then they got all the preachers up there, and we were standing, and we raised our hands, and they came by, and Rodney Howard Brown just touched us, and out in the spirit we went. We were laying on the floor, and I didn't feel nothing. I thought, man, I come here to get something. All I'm doing is laying on the floor. I said, I feel like I messed out on something. But I tried to get up, and I was stuck. I felt like I was Velcroed. I couldn't raise my arms. I couldn't lift my head up off the ground. I said, oh, my goodness. What's going on? And I heard them laughing. And the laughter got closer and closer and closer. I said, oh, no. 
no. And it got next to me, and then all of a sudden it hit me. It was like somebody punched me in the gut. And I began to belly laugh like a hyena. And all of a sudden my arm went loose, my arm went loose, my leg. I was stomping on the ground. I was laughing until I laughed myself out, and I sat up, and I think I was the only one left up there. <laughs> and so I went back. I thought these guys were still down there somewhere. I went over there. It was a big church, Carpenter's Home Church in Lakeland. seated like 4,000 or something. And I went over and sat in that section over there, and I was sitting there. I said, when are these guys going to come back and sit down? And I look over, and they're a whole section and a half away from me, waving at me. I said, I didn't even remember where I sat. It was so crazy. But you see, you can't look at the things of God or what you go through through legalistic sight or else you'll psych yourself out and you'll, the devil will give you a reason to convince yourself you're not worthy, that it wasn't real, what happened for you. He's a liar. That's why, that's one of his main things. He's an accuser. He's a deceiver. He's a schemer. But the biggest thing he does is lie. He lies to you. He lies about you. And he'll lie to others so that your life is miserable. But the power of God emanates from his presence to do battle for you. And so you just get into the presence of God. That's why all these revivals breaking out like at Asbury and other places, it's broke out I don't know how many now. Zach, do you know how many colleges and all it's hit? No? It was over 50 the first month that revival broke out on the campuses. Richard Jones was on Lance Walnaw, or whatever his name is, on a podcast, a video cast, or whatever you call it. But uh, he did these banners for us. Richard did. But he went the second or third day and experienced just a great move of the holiness of God. I mean, bring you to your knees. But we see that in statement 9, we are, I already read that statement 10, God always proves in our, to our enemies we have a future, even when things look negative. Somebody may speak negative or it may look negative, but you have a future. When I went to New Orleans to do home mission work, I started out with me, my wife, and one other couple. And we had church. I knocked on, I think, 500 or 1,000 doors. It was the only little church, full gospel church, in the whole uptown area of New Orleans, in the uptown area. And uh, my mother-in-law gave me a little building to use. I had an organ, a piano. I had 25 or 30 folding chairs. I had songbooks. I had the makings of a church. And I knocked on all those doors. I brushed my teeth, Caleb. I used deodorant. And I tried to be nice. And not one person came out of those 500 doors I knocked on. I left them brochures. I got kind of discouraged. 
I would walk all over those neighborhoods praying. Nothing happened. After 10 months, I had 10 people in my church. We had grown 250% in less than a year. Thank God one of them could really sing. And another one worked for Zapp's Potato Chip Company. And he kept me supplied with a box of Zapp's about every month. He'd bring me a box of Zapp's Potato Chip. Man, those are good. But, you know, I didn't make it grow. It stripped me down to nothing. I, I thought, man, I don't even know if I'm called to the ministry now. I think I started putting in applications to try to get a school teaching job for the next fall. You know, I thought, this is over. I, I should have never stopped coaching. Why did I think? But, you know, that's the way the devil lies to you. And about the time I thought it was over, I got a call from John Snavely in Popper Bluff, Missouri, seeing if I wanted to come up and be associate pastor, seeing if I would be willing to become the principal or the administrator of Southern Missouri Christian School. I said, well, I'll pray about it while my wife is packing. <laughs> but anyway, we, we decided, yes, we know that's where God wants us. But God had me in a place that I felt kind of like Job. I felt like I'd lost. But you know what? God will remind your enemy that you have a future. Even when you don't feel it. But Micah 7, 7 and 8, it says, Therefore I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And then the next verses, Esther 2, 16 and 17. So Esther was taken to the king Ahasuerus to his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight, more than all the virgins, so he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. You see, when you're right and you're righteous, the devil cannot rob your place. He's with you. And God used Esther to save the nation of Israel. And uh, that's why Esther said, for such a time as this, you know, it was said about her, for she went before the king for such a time as this. And then we see in Esther 4, 13 through 16, Mordecai, that was her uncle, told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. There was a conspiracy that uh, Haman tried to bring against the Jews to destroy them. And Esther was a Jew. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will 
arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan, and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Well, see, you weren't, and above all, taking a shield of faith. Oh, that's a thief. But anyway, you weren't supposed to go before the king unless he requested you to come before him. She had grace with him. She had favor with him. And because of that, she was able to tell of the terrible scheme that the enemy was using to try to bring her and her people down. And so then he became, that's why they call it a hang, they say hangman's noose, but Haman was in the noose. And he died. But above all, taking the shield of faith which, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You have an ability in God and the only accuser is the devil. The only thing God accuses is sin. You know, he doesn't accuse you. He accuses sin. And that's why if somebody's humble and you had sin in your life, then you'll come under conviction, not condemnation, and you'll get right with him. And that's why the spirit of revival is so powerful. Because when people come into the presence of God, they just want to repent. That's the real essence of revival, is when repentance is happening. And that's why it's so powerful to see God moving in all these different places. Stand with me. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that our enemy does not have the victory over us. But we resist our accusers. We resist our enemies by the authority of Jesus Christ's name and his blood and by the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. We stand before you and ask you to strengthen us and be with us and help us to not allow the devil to have place to lie to us and cause us to stumble and fall. But help us to live for you in every way and be a mighty witness to the world around us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right. Will you all be careful?